0: Welcome to Animation Celery, crunchy conversations about classic cartoons. Yes, mothers, it's time once
1: again for Conrad Poos and his dancing teeth. I don't think he's
0: here. Oh, well, then I guess you got to settle for the usual guys. I'm Matzy, and I'm the usual Micah. So, us two, Matzy and I, we review and discuss cartoons on Animation Celery. This week, we're doing a callback theme uh, to prior episodes. Matsy is going to tell us about the Adventures of the Gummy Bears, Too Many Cooks, as well as A Tad Smarter. And he gave me, hey yo, Donkey Kong Country, it's a wonderful life. First, we talk about stuff. Tell me about stuff, Matsy.
1: Uh, first of all, is Disney's Adventures of the Gummy Bears?
0: Ah, screw. (laughs)
1: Um, So I admired your gamifying of watching TV shows or cartoons specifically Mm -hmm. that you had a poor opinion of. Rescue Rangers and Garfield. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so I drew inspiration from that and decided to make a game of my own. I decided to take a cartoon that I had previously watched some of and written off. And decided Mm. to give it a second chance, but with a caveat. Okay. I call this game Balls in Your Court. Okay. Yeah. So the idea is, well, I I think this game will be different every time I do it. But for this specific one, I went to a Netflix original animated series that I started watching watching once and gave up on Mm -hmm. called F is for Family. Oh,
0: yeah. That's Bill Burr's thing,
1: right? Yes, it is. Mm. So previously I decided to try watching this and I, I decided that I would start with the second season. My thinking being that they would probably, if the show was any good, it would have found its footing at that point. Like the first season might be a little rough. I understand. So I figured I'd start with the second season and if it was any good, I would go back and watch the first season. Mm -hmm. But then I fell off. It, it's a 10-season, or a 10-episode season, and I stopped after seven episodes. There's okay. a number of reasons for it. Um, partly, it's it's kind of this unsatisfying thing of just bad things happening to all the characters constantly. Like, hmm. you know, it's it's like a... You know, I never watched or even read all of Game of Thrones, because... It was constantly just bad stuff happening to everyone. And the moments of satisfaction were so few and far between and fleeting that it was just exhausting
0: to try to get through. Yeah, I just skipped it because I'm too cool. <laughs> it's, it's popular now. Not interested. Yeah. So F is for family was kind of
1: similar where you could just see, you know, you could see impending doom approaching all the characters except for one, the well, two, I guess. Um, there's a daughter in the show, Maureen, who is useless and doesn't really... I mean, she's the smartest one in the family, but she's also like the one that they focus on the least. Mm-hmm. But specifically the wife, whose name is Sue, her life was kind of going pretty well. Uh, the The idea of the second season is that the dad, Frank, has lost his job. And now Sue has a job and she's doing pretty well at it. And so Frank is falling apart. The two sons in the family are both falling apart Sue, so here's, here's, this actually ties into the game. Mm -hmm. Sue, basically, to give some spoilers here, Sue invented essentially the salad spinner. Oh. The cylinder device that you could oh, by the way, this show I should mention is set in 1973. Okay. Yeah. Um, There's a running gag where they have an answering machine and it's like the latest thing. Hmm. So... Sue invented basically the salad spinner and she, you know, nobody takes her seriously because she's a woman in 1973. Mm. And this other woman kind of befriends her thinking that the salad spinner is a great idea and they're going to, you know, make a proper prototype for it and make millions. And they ally with the woman who's the head of, cause she works at like the sort of Tupperware equivalent. I think it's called Plastaware. Okay. And I'm watching this like This woman is going to betray her and steal the idea of herself. Right. Like there's, there's no, I could see it coming. Like there's no way that this goes well, because if it goes well, then they're
0: millionaires and the show's over.
1: So (laughs) something is
0: going to go wrong. Just like the real life, the real life salad spinner millionaires. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. yeah.
1: (laughs) So something is going to go wrong. And I think the specific something is that this specific woman is going to betray her and steal the idea. Uh. And that's kind of. You know, at this point, after seven episodes, I was like, I, I'm not into it. It's not funny. It has mm. a few okay gags, but most of the humor is just all the characters being crass and
0: swearing. Ah, I see. You know, it's like, oh, he said the F word. Hilarious. It depends. Like that kind of show, I guess, uh where you can see the jokes coming. You have to like what's coming though, right? Mm-hmm. It's kind of like watching Blackadder and thinking like, oh, he's going to hit Baldrick, you know, or something like that. So, but in this case, (laughs) you don't enjoy it.
1: He's going to compare something to something else. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But in this case, like, it just wasn't funny. You know, the story was okay, But like I said, it was just beating me down with all the bad things happening to everyone or about Mm. to happen. And so I gave up on it. And so here's where the game comes in. I decided I'm going to continue because because what happened is the trailer for the fifth season like i said this is the second season it's now on its fifth the fifth one just came out and the trailer was all over netflix so like oh that show right Mm. so i decided here's what i'm gonna do i'm gonna pick up where i left off and if that woman betrays sue i'm gonna shut it off and never come back to it (laughs) okay but if that woman does not betray sue Mm. then i'll watch the rest of the series high stakes balls in your court f is for family okay and so things kind of it actually the the salad spinner thing kind of becomes a a real side plot to the utter deterioration of the marriage <laughs> which is so uplifting
0: <laughs> yeah and
1: and it got all the way to the final episode where there's the big plastic plastiware convention or whatever and they had their like product of the year or whatever which turned out to be something called the rainbow mug which was special plastic that was chemically treated so that it would turn into the same color of whatever fluid was in it Mm -hmm. and everyone was all excited until someone in the audience called out like a clear glass (laughs) and then they all kind of went oh darn we can't sell this
0: yeah except is it opaque Cause that's kind of cool. I get, if it's like an yeah. opaque glass that changes color.
1: Yeah. Well. Yeah. Like a plastic mug that's like you know you put Coca Cola mm. into it and it turns brown. Mm. So in this you know state of dejectedness, the benefactor woman who I should clarify there I I wish I could remember the names but there's two women involved here. There's this woman I think her name starts with a V but I can't remember. It's like Vicky or Violet or something. Mm. She's the one who's kind of befriended Sue and helped her along. And she's the one that I was guessing was going to betray her. And mm. then there's Henrietta, who is the old woman who is the owner of plasterware. And it turned out that Henrietta betrayed her. Oh, it turned out that the, the V woman who I thought was untrustworthy is actually genuinely on Sue's side. So I was kind of stuck like, well, wait a minute. Is this a. Yeah. Is this a fail state? Because what I thought was going to happen happened, but the wrong person did it. Yeah. So I compromised by watching the rest of the episode instead of turning it right off. Mm-hmm. And then I probably won't go back to the show.
0: Hmm. Well, I guess in the end you have free will. You're not uh, <laughs> subject to the game. Yeah, yeah that's true. So, mm.
1: yeah, um, F is for family, a tiring Oh, there's also the, the older son had this, his problem was kind of resolved in like the cringiest way. Like I was just, I actually, I actually considered turning the thing off early. Like thinking like, this is a breaking point that I can't get past. Mm-hmm. But I, I fought through it. Ugh. Yeah. But yeah, that it's, it's not very funny. It's not very interesting. It's very crass. At least it's, it's gorgeous to look at. No.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> it just kind of looks like an ordinary, you know, any, imagine like the most, like,
0: imagine if the characters had less charm than King of the Hill. That's what I was comparing it to. It's like, <laughs> it's like sad King of the Hill, you know, <laughs> not funny. It's like, and, yeah. it's like, it's like not, it's sad
1: King of the Hill or not funny Bojack Horseman. Mm. It's.
0: Yeah, uh, just, Bojack Horseman at least has style. Bojack you know? Horseman.
1: you know, I love Bojack Horseman. I think yes. it's it, it. I've said before, it is it has the kind of humor. It has the most revolutionary humor that I've seen since the early days of The Simpsons. Like The Simpsons, you would watch stuff and go, who how did anybody think of that? That is so funny. And Bojack Horseman does the
0: same thing. Hmm. I find for it that I dislike a lot of the humor, but then I have like one or two genuine laughs when yeah. I watch it. Sure. Um, I don't know. You have a very accepting attitude toward a lot of these kinds of shows. I think, whereas no. I don't like, I, I just get kind of turned off by a lack of uh, visual ambition, you know? Sure. sure. So Netflix just keeps pumping these out at me. And I feel just like, I can't take another ad for um a rounded rectangle with round eyes. You know what I mean? Mm. Oh, God. Yeah. There's there's this show that I haven't even given
1: a chance called Pinky Malinky.
0: Yeah. Which oh, yeah. seems
1: to be about a hot dog or a wiener or something. And I'm like, this is like... Netflix will give a contract to anyone. They'll cancel them after one season, but they'll give a contract to anyone.
0: Oh, and the style too. Pinky Malinky. Mm. That's, of course it's called something like that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Anyway... I was that ooh, that that scene
1: with the older son singing his song about banging the woman next door. Ooh, oh, oh yeah, okay. That was cringy. I can't think of anything that would
0: cringe more than that. Do you have any kind of cringers that are more cringy than cringing? <laughs> oh, okay, so sent me up to talk about Masters of the Universe first. Okay. Um, <laughs> Okay, well, we discussed a little beforehand. You were naughty and didn't watch it. Yeah, I was a bad little boy. I I need to... That's the
1: thing. Like, I need to watch it in the next week, but also in the next week, the second season of Centaur World is coming up, so I don't know.
0: Maybe you'll just never watch it, and I can just say anything about it, right? Yeah, you just, like, drop in these little... Like, oh, there was this one part. Like me talking about wrestling, you know? Right, right. There's this one part where Fisto did a thing. I'm like, that's wild. Fisto did do a thing in these episodes. Wow, Um, that's wild. Remember when you were saying that you were trepidatious about Mossman being handled by Kevin Smith? (laughs) Yes. And yet he actually was treated with dignity in the show. Yes. Fisto, not so much. He says things like, I'm going to fist that fog. (laughs) He says stuff like that in the brief time he has on screen.
1: I wonder if Kevin Smith has gone off of weed and gone back to the things that he knew before he was stoned all the time.
0: Fisting. Mm. Um, so I guess I'll dance around a little bit talking about the, the revelations. Um, <laughs> uh, one thing I was thinking is that I'm judging this by a pretty harsh standard. Mm. Just like everybody. Everybody wants this to be like amazing, right? And I'm thinking they should just have the uh, freedom to just be a cartoon, right? And maybe yeah. not be your everything. Yeah, but that said, it's kind of—it's um, not quite a TV series. It's halfway to a movie, kind of. Yeah. Anyway, I I like the second half better than the first. Oh, okay. Because um, I think it had more chance to tell story and develop characters. All right. As opposed to taking on a ride on a ride to every toy you could think of, you know. Yeah, yeah. Cringer, as you <laughs> noted. Uh, I like Cringer in this. He does more heroic stuff in this series than Battle Cat ever does on Filmation. Wow. Yeah, he does lots of cool stuff. And um, they give Evil Lynn another origin in this, (laughs) which I don't really like. Um, In this, she was uh, poor, so poor that her parents decided to eat her. And she ran away from them and ended up uh, casting a spell briefly to try to defend herself. Like, like a spontaneous casting. Um, Weird. Oh, wait, I think, I think I'm mixing stuff up. She ran away from them and there's some other thing, right? Street tufts or whatever. She, she was yeah. casting spells spell spontaneously and it doesn't quite work. And then they decide to go get her. But Skeletor emerges from a portal and rescues her and then takes her under his wing. I don't really understand... Like maybe he was divining it, like trying mm. to figure out where he could get some henchmen. And maybe the Oracle said, ah, this is, you know, she'll be make a good henchman. But yeah. I don't really like it because other, the filmation and the 2000s He-Man, Evil Lynn is kind of her own thing. Yeah. Like she, she's already a professional sorceress. I guess I can't call her a sorceress in, in that world, but she's a prof- professional spellcaster before she meets Skeletor and she has her own ambitions and past and here not so much. All her spells rhyme. So if we're thinking D&D, I would call her a bard. Oh, I guess so. I guess so. Uh, who's taken a feat so that she can use an orb. <clears throat> um, yeah, like I, I have a similar feeling to the 2000s origin for Skeletor where oh, yeah. he after his face gets gooeyed and, and then uh, Hordak grants him the power, then he becomes a powerful wizard. But it Mm. kind of bothers me that he was not a wizard before he was a swordsman. I don't, maybe this is just something particular to me, but I prefer that he comes at it with stuff of his own, you know? Yeah. And this uh, series kind of just touches on everything at once. Like often just as little offhanded remarks. So uh, Skeletor, um, he makes allusions to being a demon from a different dimension, like he was in the first mini comic. So I guess he might not be uh, Keldor, the, I guess, technically Duke of Eternia. Mm. At any rate, I actually prefer him as a, a, I guess, well, they don't really commit any which way, right? They say a lot of things. And like, uh, for example, one of the allusions to everything he-Man has a kind of Hulk-like mode. Okay. That alludes to his uh, original mini-comics being a barbarian. So, like, he uses an axe. like Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, there's one bit that kind of bugs me, though. He uh, gets restrained by the guards of Eternos. And there's, like, 12 of them that have lassos on them or something. And he's mm. supposed to be, like, an ultra He-Man in this form. It shouldn't have been like that. It should have been... like. He probably could have escaped anyway, but it should have been a whole bunch of vehicles pulling him, I think. Oh, yeah. yeah. The, I, I still think none of the voices are as good as the Filmation ones. Yeah. Uh, they develop. But you know, when I kind of turn my brain off and have less expectations for this, I really did enjoy some of the dialogue between Beast Man and, uh, and Evil Lynn in this. Okay. The, their sort of side friendship. Uh, while Skeletor is kind of going mad with power. So hmm. that was pretty good. Um, I think the animation is handled by a group in Texas. Okay. Uh, that did like... Um, oh boy, I might be wrong, but I think they did uh, the uh, Castlevania uh, series. Oh, I wouldn't be surprised. In fact, that sounds yeah. familiar, actually. It's, so it's it's really detailed, mm-hmm. but... I'll say that some things just fall a little short. Like I think the backgrounds, I said it last time too, that I don't think the backgrounds are distinctive. Mm. They really feel to me like a mobile game. <laughs> um, and then some things are just way under designed. Like uh, there's a stronghold that the uh, uh, soldiers of Eternus, Eternus have run away to in the mystic mountains. And uh all of their tents are just white triangles and i was thinking oh man this is pretty dang lame like think about how that would look in filmation those tents would have had weird curves and frills <laughs> and stuff yeah um uh see there's another instance where like they ramp up i i shouldn't complain about this so much because often i espouse that i want the thing to you know be drawn well right and i don't mind if its animation is limited otherwise but uh-huh. They ramp up to action scenes, right? But there's a scene where Evil Lynn seduces Skeletor in this. Okay. And they just don't do it very well. Like, it's kind of, you know, your antennae go up when it starts to happen. Like, oh, like <laughs> she straddles his lap. And, um, but there's things that are like cliches. And so there's just no reality to it, or, you know, like no, no uh, breath of, of reality in it. Like her drawing. I can't remember. I think it's her that draws her line down his abdomen and it's just kind of a cliche. Right. Yeah. And there's a bit where she's leaning in and I'm waiting like, okay, so they're going to kiss. How's this going to (laughs) work? Right. And I think the animator didn't really know either. And to me, this was a moment that should have been as big or bigger than a lot of those action scenes because everyone's going to be thinking, you know, everyone's eyes are going to be extra focused on this. Right. Right. She should have been like, dragging her lip along the hard surfaces of his face. And he, I think maybe he should have been like nibbling on her jaw, like an affectionate bird does with its beak, you know, <laughs> something like that, as opposed to just, they kind of kiss, I guess. Mm. Anyway, I don't, I don't know what else there's to say about, it. oh, it does, even though, uh, it's uncertain whether there'll be any more of these because they're, uh, Mattel's license to make these animations on their own is going to elapse. Mm. Um, they do tease more at the end, so hmm, maybe there'll be more of this hmm then no. yeah, we'll see it was it was all right. I had a decent time watching the finish of it, I um, guess that's all you can ask for, yeah well, it's I not mean, what you... I wanted, but you know, yeah, so well, yeah, masters well, I guess we could maybe talk about more of this next week or. You just keep skipping it. And if they ever make more, I'll review it. <laughs> well, we'll see what happens on. I got two days off. Let's see what happens on those two days off. Okay. Let's see if I just, if I watch cartoons or if I just play The Binding of Isaac a whole bunch. Hmm. Well. I I have one more thing and it's okay. the biggest thing. Uh-huh. But uh, I'll limit it because I haven't watched it all yet. They, uh, today, uh, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Stone oh, Ocean released. Yes, I saw this. And they had a big episode dump. It was, I wasn't, it's not going to be like one a week or two a week. They just dumped 12 of them. Ha <laughs> ha. So I watched a couple. Pretty good. It's paying off. Yeah. Um, one thing, they leaked early. The, uh, JoJo's ending credits all have licensed uh, non-Japanese music. Okay. Yeah. Um, And in this case, they've chosen Distant Dreamer by Duffy. Hmm. Which I hadn't really heard before. But I listened to it and thought, oh, this is a great song. Great choice. And my imagination turned about what the end credits could look like for this. And I was pretty disappointed. It's just kind of like different shots of ocean waves coming in. Mm. It's not like, oh, you could have done more with this. And they don't even play that much of the song. But uh, as further uh, of my mission to entice more people to watch JoJo's, I'll list out the uh, the various end themes for the show. The uh, first two seasons have "Roundabout" by Yes, yeah, which has been mean to death. Yep. Then "Stardust Crusaders" starts with "Walk Like an Egyptian" by the Bangles, which kind of rocks. Yeah, It's an all right song. Yeah, and in the context of like ending the show, like everything gets heightened a little bit, right? Because you've we've watched a show you've enjoyed, and that ends with like the "boom, don, 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 don," and it's pretty neat. Um, Then they, they changed to Last Train Home by Pat Metheny Group, which I hadn't heard before. Mm. It's basically an instrumental and it's kind of like embodies the melancholy finish of a journey. Mm. And even though I love the Walk Like an Egyptian ending, it's kind of like a bonus and that's fine. That's cool. Um, Then they give us I Want You by Savage Garden. Oh boy. Pretty neat you say oh boy because you don't like the song or it was overplayed or what i'm just i'm just trying to imagine it it's actually a really good end credits too it's hmm. like an evolving end credits okay so uh for parts of it it's like that, that part four is about the town of morio it's the whole setting right is the right. small town yeah and so there's like a uh a scrolling a, a trucking i guess um uh dollying shot through the town that starts like at the train station and you see all the characters that appear like it's like it's an evolving end credits because as new characters appear they appear in the end credits too Mm -hmm. so kind of neat and the song's good so uh then they go on to "Freakin' you by jodeci Mm -hmm. for the uh the gangster themed season yeah pretty neat. It's it's a weird show in that you, uh, if you're really into it, you get twisted up by, oh, the episode's ending, but also <laughs> like, oh, yeah, but they're playing roundabout. Cool, cool. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'm I'm sure to be insufferable with a lot of JoJo stuff in the coming weeks, but I've only <laughs> watched, I've only watched two episodes at this point. So. All right. <laughs> That's a callback to like our second or third episode,
1: I think, when I watched right. JoJo. Yeah, yeah. You should call back to other stuff. OK, I guess I'll yeah. go first. All right. Yeah. So we got uh, Disney's Adventures of the Gummy Bears, which is immediately a callback because we already watched it. But yeah. this is different. So let's see if I can decipher what you're calling back to in this one. OK. Hmm. So this is actually the season premiere for season three of mm-hmm. Disney's Adventures of the Gummy Bears. And it is half episodes, half episodes. Mm. Uh, the first one is called Too Many Cooks, and we got the child gummy bears, Sonny, Cubby, and Tummy, out picking chestnuts for Grammy's delicious chestnut pie. But they have to scurry into hiding when a flock of humans comes by, all chanting, taffy, taffy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the kids immediately surmise that the imperial taffy maker, Sir Paunch, has returned to Dunwin And they all hurry to nab a few pieces of that delicious goo for themselves. At this point, it's a given that the gummies have secret tunnels all over the place. So it's no surprise to see them watching from the ramparts as the rotund candy maker arrives to a hero's welcome. He's tossing out, (laughs) he's tossing out free samples and they're Mm. wrapped in something. And it made me
0: wonder what they're wrapped in. Hmm. Cellophane, I guess. Wax. You could make wax paper. I was thinking wax paper because I'm thinking about the
1: taffy that I sell it or that is the Christmas taffy that is currently for sale at my store. Sure. And it seems to be wrapped in wax paper. So, OK. Anyway, he uh, he arrives to a hero's welcome, especially from King Gregor, who can barely contain his childlike enthusiasm for paunch's goo. Hmm. But Paunch breaks everyone's heart when he announces that he's retired and is simply passing through, which makes me what a dork. <laughs> well, it makes me wonder about the politics of this world, because he's the imperial taffy maker, which tells me that he belongs to an empire passing through the kingdom of Dunwin. And then right. later we also hear Igthorn pining for his kingdom of Drekmore, but also he wants to take over the kingdom of Dunwin. So I'm like, I,
0: I don't know what the geography of this world is. Right. And, uh, Igthorn's a duke. So is yeah. he, is he Gregor's brother? It, hmm.
1: I don't know. That's a good question. Yeah. Hope nobody melts his face. Hmm. Um, okay. So Gregor and the people beg for one last batch and Paunch finally breaks down and agrees to make one more, but just a small one just for the king. This gives Sonny the great idea that since the gummies are able to sneak anywhere with impunity, they could hide in the kitchen and copy Paunch's recipe, and then they can make taffy whenever they want. So Paunch is escort, escorted? Escorted. Es- escorted to the kitchen, where all the cooks have been chased out, which is good because Paunch wants his recipe to remain his secret until he can find a successor worthy of it, which I thought was going to be a more important, important plot point than it was. Hmm. So now the childish Gregor has the same idea as the gummies, but Paunch is able to thwart him by blocking the door's keyhole with butter and listing off nonsensical ingredients aloud as he actually uses more reasonable ingredients. Hmm. But once again, Sonny is the smart one who figures out what's going on. And she writes down the actual recipe by watching instead of listening. So Paunch expertly finishes his taffy, stretching it and whatnot, Um, Which (laughs) kind of appealed to me because I like watching videos of people stretching candy on YouTube.
0: Yeah, yeah. But but he, like, this is how super cooking should be done in a fantasy setting. Yeah. He's not using sorcery, but I do like that he's like, he's like Spider Man hurling taffy against the wall. Oh yeah, he's connecting the other way. (laughs) He just bends the stuff to his
1: will. He's a taffy master. (laughs) Yeah. So he he finishes off the taffy and he leaves. And the gummies leave too, but they are dejected because they didn't get any taffy. But not only that, their plan to copy the recipe is a bust because it turns out that Grammy doesn't have the pressure cooker necessary to cook the candy. And in fact, the only pressure pressure cooker in the kingdom is in Dunwin Castle, which makes me wonder how they know what it is.
0: Hmm. I would imagine that that's like gummy technology that they just don't have. one. Oh, sure. They they surely had a pressure cooker.
1: Yeah, you're right. You're right. I forgot that the gummies were actually kind of high technology for their time. Yes. Mm. Okay. So now Cubby gets the good idea. He decides that all they need to do is sneak back into the kitchen and make Taffy there. So they get into the spirit by dressing like cooks and then Tummy accidentally spills flour all over them. But that turns out to be good, because when Gregor comes to see what the commotion is, because apparently he doesn't have guards to do these things for him, Hmm. he assumes that they're small people and not gummy bears. And the gummies make up the story that they're Paunch's assistants, and they've stayed behind to make taffy for everyone. And Gregor believes this because Paunch did say he was looking for a successor. So, mm. that actually was an important plot point, just not as important as I thought. Like, I was, you know, I was hoping he would, like, find the gummy bears and decide that Tummy deserved the recipe or something. Anyway, mm. so now the gummies are allowed to work alone, but they can't get the recipe right. The first time, they all add the same ingredients and they do it wrong. Like, they, they put in the eggs, shells, and all, and,
0: like, flour sacks. I'm yes, I, I love that when Tummy comes by as the third one with the same ingredients. Yeah. And he just goes, whatever. And he drops them
1: all in yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, after that gaff from the voice of Garfield, we get a gross orange mess. It's, that was a joke.
0: That <laughs> <laughs> <No. laughs> <It> was good. <laughs> but there was, in fact, a gross orange mess. So I was just going along. yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: For the next batch, Tummy decides that extra cornstarch will only make the taffy better, but it ends up too stiff to pull properly, and ends up bouncing all over, dangerously and ironically. For the third attempt, they seem to get the recipe right, but Cubby decides to make the fire extra hot to cook it fast, and the result is a pressure cooker explosion that floods the castle with taffy. But no one seems upset since the taffy is delicious, and there is indeed enough for all. All except the gummies, who were forced to flee the explosion. Back home, Sonny and Cubby lament their bad luck and are interrupted by another explosion. They find Tummy in the kitchen, having given the recipe one last failed try, which he somehow managed to explode even without a pressure cooker. Wow, maybe don't. he rigged something. Yeah, maybe. So, obviously this episode is a callback to Geppel's goo.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you, you know what? <laughs> there's uh there's like providence in this show, right? Where we find the illusions. Yeah. I was just going for the Mighty Bee and the No, taffy. no, yeah, like I, yeah. I I the Geppels Goo thing was a joke, but like I actually I actually
1: had to look down the list of episodes and once I yeah. saw the title Kajolika, I went, "Right."
0: Right. Like, there are other people who are unreasonably obsessed with taffy. Uh, unbelievably This is an instance where I wasn't thinking Geppel's goo. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they were our first sponsor. You should always be thinking Geppel's goo. Yeah,
1: well, they need to cough up some more dough, I guess. Yeah, fair enough. We're on to Mr. Beetleman now, although he seems to be slacking, too. Hmm. Okay, um, one thing that I want to mention on this episode real quick is Sir Paunch. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure who did his voice, but he does an impression of Ed Wynn that is so good that I actually thought it was Ed Wynn. And I waited for the credits to see if he was in it. Yeah. And then he, his name wasn't there. And then I thought maybe he was uncredited. And so I had hmm. to actually look him up and discovered that he died in 1966.
0: Okay. So you mean, you made this this kind of voice, right? Yeah. The mad hatter from Alice in Wonderland. Yes. It, it's kind of like my go-to when I'm doing role-playing games. <laughs> um, it's Howard Morris. Ah, okay. And okay, okay. This is gonna blow your mind. This, this is an immediate callback. He's Wade Duck. No. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. It's kind of funny, eh? Um, and here, I didn't know that when I listed this episode either. Hmm. Um, so other voices he he's done. He did Montague Jetson, uh, George Jetson's father. <laughs> Which is very timely also because did you know that the Jetsons has a specific time in our, in like it's the 2050s? Oh, I did and not. And George know that. Jetson, he's in his 30s. Huh. So this has, been a, this has been a thing going around that this past weekend is when George Jetson would have been conceived. Wow. So uh, Montague got it on this past weekend. Well, good for him. Yeah. At least someone did.
1: Um, so yeah, that was, that was wild. That's a really good Edwin impression. Like he yeah. even says at one point, let's not be silly, which is something that the Mad Hatter says in Alice in Wonderland. Yeah. Yeah. So I like, that was like, like that clued me. And it's like, oh, this has to be him. I didn't know yeah. that he died 20 <laughs> years before this episode. Hmm. Okay. So now we got a second half, which is called just a tad smarter. Now it starts with the gummy bears picking gummy berries when they hear the alarm go off on one of Gruffy's ogre traps, and they find a small but well-spoken ogre caught in the snare. After commenting on his shrimpy size and typical ogre ugliness, they let him go, warning him that their gummy berry bushes are off-limits. But the offended ogre claims that he'll be getting his ogre brothers to come and destroy your gummy berries. Meanwhile, Back at Dreckmore, which is a kingdom or a castle or a duchy or something, Duke Igthorne mm. is mistreating his ogre army once again, getting them to lick the castle courtyard clean. The little ogre arrives, appalled at seeing what the ogres are forced to do. And then Toadwort drops in, apparently thrown from a window by the duke. Mm. And Toadie lets us know that this little ogre is his cousin, Tadpole. Now, Tadpole is smarter than the average ogre, And he rallies a coup, turning the ogres against the mean duke in favor of his own leadership. Igthorn is catapulted out of the castle. And half of the ogre army is sent to destroy those gummy berry bushes. And the other half is commanded to lick the underside of the courtyard clean. But even worse, he orders them all to take baths. Bleh! In the forest, the gummies watch the ogre army destroy their bushes, and they see that there's a new little ogre in charge, and it's the same ogre from before. Gruffy decides that the solution is that they need to get Igthorn back in charge, since he wants the gummy berry juice, as opposed to wanting the berries destroyed. Now back at Dreckmore, Toadie tries to plead the ogre's distaste for Baz, But Tadpole won't tolerate disobedience and orders his own cousin imprisoned in the dungeon, which is probably pretty common in royalty in this era. Hmm. Back in the forest, the gummies track down the downtrodden Igthorn, who is fighting with forest animals for scraps of food. (laughs) They catch him in an ogre trap and make a deal with him to get him back on the throne of Drekmore. Now, of course, the gummies have a secret tunnel to that castle, too. And so they arrive in no time. They find Toadie in the dungeon, who explains Tadpole's heel turn, and the gummies use their juice powers to get the key from the dim-witted ogre guards and give it to Igthorn. And uh, then they leave, and they don't come back for the rest of this episode. Mm. Igthorn and Toadie head to the throne room to apprehend Tadpole, and the Duke is able to turn his ogres back to his side with promises to be nicer, especially by banning baths. Tadpole is overthrown, and the Duke is back in charge, immediately sending Toadie to tell the ogres in the woods to stop destroying gummy berry bushes by catapult. Yeah. That's got to be a callback to that other episode of Gummy Bears, right?
0: Yeah, only the first part of this was really important, but yeah, yeah, it's basically, it's very similar to the other one. Yeah,
1: it's like there's a lot of Toadie and people getting thrown from Drekmore by catapult and then making friends with gummy bears.
0: yeah. It's it's just nice how that all worked out. Yeah, yeah. I was really
1: excited to hear the gummy bear's
0: song again. I still yeah. think that song rocks. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good song. You know, just and as we noted last time as well, I love Duke Igthorne. It's <laughs> <He's laughs> yeah. just so funny. He's good. <laughs> I like I like watching him hard on his luck fighting for scraps. Um Yeah. And you know and I like how just how mean and cruel he is. I think uh The way I like him is the way I like Skeletor. Mm. It must just be some kind of uh, purple lilac enemy kind of thing that... I I can name more too, but maybe we'll get to those cartoons eventually. Mm. Um, Actually, it's funny. I was talking about Revelations earlier. One thing I didn't mention uh, when I was talking about the voices... Yeah. Is there's there's like a lengthy period where Mark Hamill's Skeletor... He does okay, but where he's being very loquacious. He's, Mm. you know, like... He's he's being very poetic as he walks around in soliloquies, hmm. and I was thinking the difference between that and Filmation Skeletor. The Filmation Skeletor is kind of childish, really, right? Like, yeah, he wouldn't he wouldn't be saying all these poetics. He'd be like, "I know you are, but what am I?" You know, yeah, yeah like you. you- one of Skeletor's famous lines from the Diamond Ray of Disappearance was, uh, come in, you royal boob. Yeah, yeah. And he, he does that in the Revelations episode, too. But B- boob anyway. is weirdly like a, almost like a Skeletor catchphrase. Yes, yes. <laughs> Just like Nimnol is a catchphrase in Gummy Bears. Yeah. <laughs> you Nimnols. Which, yeah. now that I'm thinking about it, I guess that, I always wondered what the reference was.
1: In Professor yeah. Nimnal in Chippendale's Rescue Rangers, because it didn't seem to be any word that I was aware of. I guess yeah. it's just maybe this little in joke is like, oh, this is the made up insult that we use in gummy bears.
0: I think we looked it up uh, on the Rescue Rangers episode. Did we? You want to take a little moment here to look up Nimnel? Nimnal? Nimnal. <laughs> I think it's a thing. So the
1: first thing I see is Professor Norton Nimnal in the Disney Wiki. Mm. Uh, oh, a derogatory term coined by Mork from Orc.
0: Similar to schmuck or nerd. Hmm. hmm. Well, now I feel like a real shazbot. <laughs> uh, so, um, oh, there's a voice thing about this too. Yeah. Um, The uh, uh, Tadpole. Yeah. It's Chuck, McC- Chuck McCann again. Uh-huh. From uh, Inky and, uh, sorry, Blinky and Pinky from Pac-Man. And the Amoeba Boys from Powerpuff Girls.
1: Yeah, yeah. His yeah. voice sounded familiar. I just couldn't place it. But it, um, mm. yeah, um, voices, I, I started watching it all, like Gruffy and um, Grammy aren't in the first half of this, but they're in the second half. And I started out being all excited, like, Tee-hee, there's Rocky and Bullwinkle. That, and then I had to remember that it wasn't actually Bullwinkle. That that actor. Was oh, his name? yeah. The wrong, Bill, wrong Sc- Bill Scott, I think he was. He, yeah. he died. So that was, right. I think Corey Burton might have been the voice at this point. I think. I can't yeah, remember. Yeah. But yeah, They sound pretty much the same. They do. Yeah. Like it, it's, you know, it was still fun to listen to. And, you know, mm. it's always kind of nostalgic to listen to June Foray. Yeah. So, yeah, that was hmm. fun. Taffy and Goo. calling Like more gummy bears. I got to listen to that song again. We got more Duke Igthorne. It was a fun time. Right. Now, wow. speaking of fun times... Yeah. Let's
0: not have one. (laughs) Well, you know what? Mm. (laughs) I've said uh, said before, like, oh, I'm glad you gave me Pac-Man. I'm glad that we got to Donkey Kong Country. Okay. Good theme song. There's that. Hey, yo, look out, here we go. Here we go, Banana Slammer, Congo Bongo's hero. Yeah. Yeah. Banana Slammer. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. All right. Go ahead. Win the me over. The, epi- <laughs> the episode that you gave me is It's a Wonderful Life, written by Marshall Harville and Terry Saltzman in 2000. So, I will cover the basics just in case. Uh, Donkey Kong was a Smash arcade game that put the gaming company Nintendo on the map in 1981. Originally... It was to be a game based on Popeye, but a failure to get the license adapted Popeye's role into Handyman Mario and Bluto's into a giant ape named Donkey Kong. The future superstar Italian character had to ascend construction site girders while avoiding Donkey Kong's obstacles, most famously, rolling barrels. Years later, in 1994, the gorilla was given his own game series called Donkey Kong. Uh, Donkey Kong Country, sorry. Set on Donkey Kong Island, Donkey Kong, or DK for short, and his monkey sidekick Diddy Kong must defeat the invading alligator people, the Kremlings, for the sake of the various Kong Simian natives and their precious favorite food, bananas. I think this has been covered to death, but gorillas don't eat bananas. In fact, when you think about it, uh donkey kong jr used bananas and fruit generally as a weapon yeah true to to drop on things yeah oh i'll cover that in a bit i guess uh about the whole donkey kong jr deal right um so the property donkey kong country that is was adapted to a fully cg cartoon series in 2000 as a Canadian-French-Chinese joint venture, Nirvana is somewhere in there. It's wild. It's a Canadian-French-Chinese
1: cartoon based on a video game developed in Britain for a
0: Japanese publisher. Right. And first published in France. And it's, yeah, I don't know. It's kind of weird. Um, so in the cartoon, the setting is renamed to Congo Bongo. That's good, I think. Yeah. And the prime objective of King K Rule and his Kremlings was to steal the Crystal Coconut, an artifact determinative of who shall rule the island. One oddity about the show while the leader of the bad guys these days is usually called King K Rule, as in like K period? Yes. In this show, for whatever reason, they say K Rule. Yeah, that bugged me. I mean, I, I
1: guess there hadn't been any voice acting to actually speak it yet. But now that we've been through, well, I was going to say been through five Smash Brothers games, but there's only one where K. Rule is
0: in it. And he says, King K. Rule." But you know, when I think about it, that announcers uh, for Smash 4 and Ultimate, is that the first time he's been? No, he must have been mentioned in 64, shouldn't he? In Donkey Kong 64? Was he the villain in Donkey Kong 64? Yeah, you have to fight him at the end and he's got boxing gloves on. Oh. And each each Kong has to use their signature ability against him. Ah. So, like, Tiny Kong has to shrink and get into his shoes.
1: <laughs>
0: well, I guess I'll hmm. have to wait until it comes to Nintendo Switch Online and play it again. Hmm. Anyway, so, this cartoon, uh, this particular one, It's a Wonderful Life. At the beginning, Donkey Kong and Diddy walk together with designs to go fishing. Uh... Gorillas might eat that. I don't know. It might eat fish. Mm-hmm. Uh, but DK trips over cool guy, Funky Kong's surfboard. The surfboard is set up on two sawhorses. So Funky complains about having lost his surfing stance. Uh, Donkey tries to demonstrate how to do it, but he officially jumps aboard the surfboard and breaks it, upsetting the Jamaican voiced gorilla. <laughs> the island elder, Cranky Kong, I'm going to pause here. Um, this has been debated forever, but I think it's more or less accepted now. The Donkey Kong from that old video game is Cranky Kong, the elder here. Mm. And Donkey Kong is Donkey Kong Jr. grown up. Yeah, I would buy that. Like, that makes a lot of sense to me. It's, uh, derived, not derived, it's, it's contradicted in some video games, but oh well. Yeah. Um. So, Cranky Kong angrily summons DK to his hut. It seems that the hero set a complex locking mechanism over the globe that houses the crystal coconut so that it will be safe while he's gone fishing. After some bickering, Cranky manages to remove the locks by beating them with his walking stick. The goof-up tour continues when DK goes to the barrel factory. He overhears his gal Candy Kong and her boss Bluster Kong seemingly getting romantic. He bursts in and topples and wrecks many barrels, and it's revealed that he misunderstood. Candy was getting a raise because of an important barrel order, but now that the barrels are wrecked, the raise is off. Then Donkey Kong meets Diddy in the jungle and asks to play catch with him. Cause I guess fishing was done or off or something. <laughs> the monkey is reluctant <laughs> because <laughs> it's funny to me how much you hate this. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, the the monkey is reluctant because, as he profusely explains, it's his lucky ball and his favorite thing in the world. Predictably, DK accidentally hurls the ball too hard and loses it. Mm. DK reacts very harshly and wishes that Donkey was the one lost instead of his ball. King Karul watches DK's bad day on his monitor. Apparently, he's got a spy network of cameras that rival Dr. Claw. <laughs> also... Diddy Kong's lucky ball rolls into the Kremling factory. But never mind that, it doesn't matter.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's, this whole scene is just immediately irrelevant.
0: Yep. DK takes a nap to take his mind off of his bad day, but he oversleeps the future ruler of Congo Bongo barbecue banana dinner, where he was supposed to be the guest of honor. Everybody is further upset with the main character ape, for ruining their evening. That's the last straw. So DK packs his stick and bindle and he runs away while singing the blues about how it might be better if he never existed. And in the darkness, the singing doofus knocks himself out on a tree branch. When he comes to, he's ghostly on unable to be seen or touch anything. He meets previously used asset Eddie, the mean old Yeti, repurposed as Eddie, the guardian angel Yeti. Just like the classic movie, It's a Wonderful Life, Eddie takes DK on a tour over the island and shows what everything would be like if DK never existed. Diddy is instead a despot, and rule, and the Crocs are innocents that must keep the papier-mâché lily pad safe from the mean apes. (laughs) Oh my
1: gosh. (laughs) The Mm. idea that Donkey Kong is the only thing keeping Diddy Kong from becoming a supervillain. Is right. incredible. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. You know, if this show ran longer, I'd have liked to see seen a return to this mirror universe. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, Cranky is now King Diddy's obsequious underling, and Candy and the Odiferous Bluster Kong, her boss, are madly in love. The crystal coconut is disregarded as a meaningless bauble in favor of the new MacGuffin, the paper mache lily pad diddy plans an all-out attack on the crocs it's time for another musical number Ugh. an up city pop funk kind of number sees donkey plead with eddie to allow him to exist again to put things right it works and dk is back except still without being known or having ex- existed before then he first off ruins the relationship between bluster and candy when he insists that he's the factory workers lover Man, Bluster, the idea yeah. that like
1: the idea that everybody's life—you know—this is how the idea of "It's a Wonderful Life" is like everything is worse without you around, and like, no, nah, Candy and Bluster seem perfectly happy. It's just worse for Donkey Kong who doesn't exist. Isn't it weird? Because she
0: hates him. Otherwise, well, I mean, she, so, she hates I, him once he realizes, like, once he discovers, once he's there. No, no, no. I mean, in the regular timeline, she hates him. He's he's a terrible boss. Who leverages his power to get her to try? Oh, to Oh, you mean him. Bluster? I thought you meant Donkey yeah, Kong. Yeah, Bluster. Yeah, yeah. Okay. No, no, yeah, no Fair no. enough. Yeah, yeah.
1: So, um, yeah. So, so apparently, Donkey Kong's presence is the only reason that Candy is up is unhappy in her work. And yeah, if it's, it, un, if it, it's unclear. If it weren't for if, if it weren't for Donkey Kong,
0: she'd be heir to the Bluster Barrel fortune. Yeah, it's unclear if Bluster's a better person too, yeah. and that's why she likes him. Yeah. I don't know, yeah. but um, so Bluster's departure in his helicopter. Also angers Diddy since he now won't have the helicopter for his invasion. DK almost succeeds in getting help from New Age Funky because he tells him that they were friends in another life. And this is actually kind of funny. Yeah. (laughs) He's saying, and suddenly I was this floating invisible thing. Oh, I've been there, dude. Yeah. Pretty funny, actually. (laughs) Um, But Donkey Kong screws up. This by mindlessly breaking Funky's plane. When he tries to appeal to Diddy, he again loses his lucky ball with an overzealous throw. With nowhere else to turn, DK goes to the Kremlings. The unusually kind gators accept until DK accidentally breaks their lily pad artifact. You know, it's funny. You said that things were better without him existing. He's just existed for hours now and he's ruining everything. Yes, yes. <laughs> Anyway, both the Kongs and the Kremlings chase DK together in the mine carts. That's a big thing in the video games. Yeah. Um, eventually, that leads them all back to Congo Village. But DK finally points out that his presence actually brought everyone together as an angry mob. He offers, too, that they could use the crystal coconut as their sacred object instead of the broken lily pad. They accept this, but they want to hurt him anyway. And then DK runs away, curiously making the wooden rampart planks flip up as he runs uh, because he's heavy, I guess, or something. I felt like somebody hit a switch or something before this, like it was a trap that was going off. It was a trap? Maybe. I guess. Maybe, I'm not sure. One of the planks hurls him out to the jungle, knocking him out so that it can match the way he was knocked out before and he can rise from an apparent dream. And it turns out that his fellows all around him hold no grudge and invite him back and he no longer wishes that he had never existed Ah, uh, yeah so as you point out in a way everything would be better overall if T- tk didn't exist except for diddy kong like if you could yeah. keep diddy in
1: check like you know the kremlings are perfectly you know um friendly uh, yeah, with Candy with is no happy. Funkies. Yeah. Ha- every everybody is perfectly happy except for the presence of Diddy Kong. So apparently Donkey Kong is not the future ruler of Congo Bongo and the hero keeping the Kremlings at bay. He's the one keeping Diddy Kong in check.
0: <laughs> he just needed a friend. Yes, yeah. Uh but even if you think that like Diddy Kong is bad uh rule is not bad so it's still zero sum if you're looking at it from like a broad perspective yeah um. i so this
1: might be the worst cartoon we've watched in this podcast in my ah. opi- in my opinion let's see i barely made it through
0: once wow. once
1: donkey kong started singing i was like i wonder if i can just stop now and get away with Listening to Micah's recap and pretending I know what happened.
0: <laughs> so, <laughs> Planet of the Apes has been, or returned. to the well, has been dethroned. I mean, eh? that was just kind of boring. This is, like, aggressively yeah.
1: bad.
0: <laughs> I don't know. T- d- explain to me why I'm wrong. No, it's bad. <laughs> um, like, it's weird, right? Like, we noted the drop thread of Kurul of on the baseball. What? Makes no sense, right? Yeah. Yeah. Now, there's no reason why this show shouldn't be kind of fun. Like, it's a weird interpretation of Donkey Kong, but it's sort of video game faithful in a way, right? Well, yeah, like it's... Well, one, it's computer animation in 2000,
1: or I should say cheap computer animation in 2000, because, you know, there was some good computer animation at this point. Like, Pixar was making some bangers. I think... I think Toy Not S- a
0: real fair well, I think Toy
1: Story 2 would come out. But that's what I mean. Like, if you're looking at okay, computer animation is a thing. Any schlub can do it now. This is kind of par for course for TV computer animation at this point. Like it's, I mean, it's, it's a little worse than reboot. Um, It's. Whoa, I find reboot harder to look at. I don't know. I just kept looking at the way that like their legs, basically their butts, like the way that their legs (laughs) joined their bodies, like especially like, well, one, like Donkey Kong has a really, you know, Um, honeybee butt.
0: This is is the butt show for sure.
1: But like the particular one that I noticed was Candy because she was the only one that was wearing any clothing. And so, you know, there's you've seen clothing on people before and there's an expectation of how it looks. And it's just like a mess.
0: Well, she's an action figure. Yeah. She's got plastic clothing, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, Now she's they adapt her design quite a bit and it's kind of like Candy's design varies quite a lot in the video games too. Yes, and they were stuck with basically Bimbo One and Bimbo Two and Bimbo Three to choose from, so they did something different. Yeah, I mean, I don't, and I, th- I don't blame them for changing the design and just like, I think her choice and role change were good, um, but she does l- still look weird next to everyone else because mm. everyone else's head is so much bigger than hers. Yeah, her face is so weird. Yeah. A bluster. I guess he's supposed to be bald. So he's got no fur on his head. He's got like a toupee, right? <laughs> kind of weird looking. Yeah. He's just got a flesh head. Yeah. Uh, actually, have you uh, seen the episode Donkey Kong's haircut? No. Uh, it's the most infamous Donkey Kong Country episode. Oh, boy. And curiously, it's the first one aired. Oh, Not wow. Not the first one. First one. So um, Donkey Kong's power, I guess, is super strength. He's like Samson. When he yeah. gets his haircut, it goes away. However, <laughs> so you know how he's got that curled tuft on top of his head? Yes. Uh, that isn't gone. Rather, the fur texture is. <laughs> <laughs> so he's got this, like, fleshy tentacle <laughs> yes, on the top of his head? Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Um, they
1: just took the same computer model and changed the texture that was on top of it? Yes.
0: Man. I guess. Like, okay... One of the show's big problems is it's a little bland to look at. The color palette is pretty bland. Yeah. The settings get old real fast. And we mm-hmm. only watch one episode, but like every episode is uh, Karul's factory, the yeah. uh, uh, the Wookiee village that they live in. Yeah. Um, and then the jungle, I guess, for, oh, there's the barrel factory. It's more brown crud. Yeah. Like, there was a really telling shot in this where Donkey is, like, running
1: toward the barrel factory, and I'm just looking at it as, like, okay, there's this completely flat, completely barren brown plane that he's walking along hmm. towards this factory with, like, a couple of trees in the background behind it. Like, it was, like, the most minimal setting possible.
0: mm yeah, well, like I said, when they needed a guardian angel, they just reused an asset they had—the the yeti guy. Yeah. I don't think there was a lot of new material used, and so if you're going to watch this show, you're going to get bored real quick. You're going to get yeah. visually bored. Um, yeah. You know oh, the yeah.
1: the what I learned reading about this is that the it was the second season that was a joint <laughs> yes. Canada China production. Yeah. The first season was Canada France,
0: and it was motion captured. Frankly, what the heck. Frankly, this a lot of this looks still motion captured, and I guess some of it is. Mm. Yes. I oh, oh, actually, you know what? That that spurs my memory here. Uh, yeah, the uh, first season's dance numbers often, or first numbers, musical numbers often have dancing in them, mm-hmm. and they are very motion capturey, <laughs> where they're just kind of gliding around, you know. Yeah, yeah. Or it just doesn't. Sometimes doesn't look right. But you know, I think. It's weird. The songs in this episode at the very least, and I think overall in the series, are pretty well produced. Like I think yeah. I think they're decent songs, but contextually, like, I'll never listen to this <laughs> for fun, right? Even though I think this is a better song than most cartoon songs. Like yeah, most Yeah, it's Yeah.
1: It sort of reminded me in a weird way of like if if Little Shop wasn't rap.
0: Yeah. If you and understand what I mean. Yes. It's talking about how they don't produce any new, uh, animation assets, but they do make, uh, at least one new song and episode and do a pretty good job of it. Hmm. Yeah. I guess the show has got to have something. Uh, yeah. I want to get back to designs a little bit. Okay. Okay. So Donkey Kong is not as weird a gorilla as Sonic as a hedgehog. I'll no. grant him that. Yeah. But his flesh brow still is kind of weird to me. Yeah. And this show really leans into the flesh brow. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, you know. To be more expressive, right? But you look at the video games or like the, the Smash Brothers cutscenes. Uh, his brow doesn't have as much flex to it, right? He's always got kind of this loping Neanderthal head, you know, most mm. of the time. It flexes yeah. a little bit, but here it's all over the place. You know, it's like we up and down, right? Mm-hmm. And Diddy Kong, speaking of Sonic, he's got like the mono eyeball, you know, <laughs> like yeah. there's there's no line that divides his two eyeballs. Yes. Somehow it looks weirder in this show than it does in the video game. I know the video game he's mm-hmm. small, but it, there's something I don't know that just makes it look a little weird. And then to top it off, the worst design. Thank God she's not in this episode. Dixie Kong handled by these guys is ugly. Ooh, Ooh boy, she's terrible. And frankly, for the source material, um, I like some things from those Donkey Kong country games, mm-hmm. uh, but they're kind of tacky. The rare games are kind of tacky. A little bit. Um, yeah. Like people- They're okay for the time. It was like, wow. it was kind of, the idea
1: was that it was like, this was right when the PlayStation had come out and Nintendo was scrambling to go, oh, we can do
0: 3D graphics too. Right. They were timely, right? But there's just, like- <laughs> Maybe yeah. I'll show. Maybe I'll show some bigotry here. There's just this British stink on rare, a little bit, you know. Where it's just kind of like, ah, I don't know. They they feel like weird PC games, kind of, right? Mm-hmm. Some of the things, mm-hmm. some of the weird. Uh, the only one I've played through all the way is three, and it's got some weird fetch questy things where, like, you get an object with a really obtuse application. To solve, you know, to, to get you to the next level and the like. And, huh. um, and design-wise, it's, it's kind of crazy, too. Okay, here's something that's always bugged me about Donkey Kong Country. Mm-hmm. Donkey Kong is, a, is the most powerful kind of ape, right? That's, that's yeah. his deal. He's the strongest. He's the biggest. Yeah, he's, sure. re- he's relatively small in Donkey Kong Country. Hmm. Most living things in Donkey Kong Country are bigger <laughs> than Donkey Kong. <laughs> I realized he'd yeah. present some weird challenges if he was bigger than them, but I think he should be. Yeah. It's just weird. Um, so did you figure out what I was calling back to with this one? No, I was sloppy this week. So I, I asked for an extra 10 minutes of me because I was doing like you did. I was looking through episodes like, what is this? What is this? I When you tell me, it'll be like, oh, yeah, that one. So another...
1: Cartoon about a video game character seeing what life is like without him around. Oh,
0: duh. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's really well done. <laughs> <laughs> it just checks all the
1: themes. Yeah, that's why I picked this specific episode of Donkey Kong Country. Did you just remember it? No. I okay. was, I was kind of scrambling. I was like, oh, call back, call back. Um, um, video, uh, let's see. D- there's Pac-Man. He's a video game What? oh, there's actually, you know what my first plan was? What? My first plan was to give you, cause just to go into the video game theme with Pac-Man. Okay. And give you the Super Mario Brothers Super Show. Okay. But I just kind of couldn't bring myself to do it. And Man. then I thought, wait a minute, I have a better idea. What about Saturday Supercade? Oh, I want to do that sometime. Well, apparently it is, it is believed to be lost media. No way. Because there was never any kind of home video release for it. Um, The website that I usually questionably stream my cartoons from does not have it. Okay. And, and yeah, Wikipedia is like, it's believed that this might be lost. Ah, dang. I want to see that weirdly shaped Mario. Yeah. Voiced by Peter Cullen, apparently. (laughs) <laughs> oh, that reminds okay. me. Do you know who voiced Donkey Kong in this? Uh, I'll, Well, I'll just tell you. Yeah. It's a guy named Richard Yearwood. Yeah, yeah. Um, And that name probably doesn't really mean anything. Yeah. But I discovered after the fact, yeah. he voiced one of the human companions
0: in Dinosaurs. Yes, I do know that. Yeah. Paul, I think. The one that's taking the photograph in the opening credits. And didn't feature in the episode we looked at. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah, actually it was funny. I was looking up that kind of stuff like, okay, is this voice? that It's funny the number of voices from the show. Like, we, we recognize them, I guess, because we get all this Canadian content and it's like, hey, I've heard that voice before. But the number of voices I looked up were... <laughs> Uh, I looked up the actor's bio, and it says they're best known for portraying Blank in Donkey Kong Country.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: I saw that in Richard Yearwood's Wikipedia page. And I'm like, really? That's yeah. his claim to fame, huh? Well, he's done Oof. lots of live action and produced stuff and the like. Well, but, yeah, yeah, but like, man. <laughs> but as, as voice actors, yes. And the uh, uh, the director of this, oh, the sorry, the one of the writers, uh, Marshall Haravel. Mm-hmm. I looked up his IMDb, and he doesn't have this listed. (laughs) He's got like five questionable kind of, um, well, animations I didn't recognize.
1: Yeah, took his name off of it because he didn't want (laughs) to. Yes, (laughs) man. Yeah. So,
0: this sucks. Oh, it doesn't stop though. No. No, because we got to talk about next week, right? Okay.
1: So. David Bowie once said that we could be heroes for just one day. Micah and I are going to be heroes for eight crazy nights. Because I, it's December and we're getting into the holiday time times. And, you know, I was thinking there's probably going to be a bunch of Christmas stuff. But Hanukkah is, I'm not Jewish, so I'm not exactly sure. It's either going on right now or it just ended at this point. I'm not. 100
0: percent sure. It'll sorry. definitely it'll definitely be over by the time we air this.
1: <laughs> okay, I'm I'm or sorry. That. Yeah, I'm sorry, Jewish folks. And I thought I asked Micah. I was like, do you think there's enough enough out there that we could look at some Hanukkah themed cartoons? And in my mind, when I think Hanukkah, the first thing I thought was there's that Eight Crazy Nights movie, but. Mm. Mm. And so I texted Micah this idea and Micah's like, well, there's that Eight Crazy Nights movie. Yeah. And I kind of just decided like, okay, you know what? Let's rip that Band-Aid off. Now, I bet Jewish people hate that movie. I bet everybody hates that movie, but I bet Jewish people hate the fact that like that's that's kind of their thing. Um, So we are going to heroically look at it and maybe we'll like it, but I think it's more likely
0: that we'll tear it down. Keep an um, open mind. Yeah. Maybe, we'll ke- maybe it'll chart a new course for this podcast where we just talk about Adam Sandler projects. <laughs> oh, maybe. boy. Is Pixels animated enough to review on Animation Celery?
1: <laughs> well, I, mm, I I just can't wait to get to the longest pee. Mm. <laughs> anyway, so that's what we're doing. We're going to do a movie review of Adam Sandler's stupid movie about Hanukkah. <laughs> right, right, right. All right. So until that, uh, <laughs> that illustrious episode airs, uh, let us know what you think of this show. Let us know what you think of our idea to watch that, especially if you're Jewish. I would love to know what Jewish people think of that movie. Um, tell us if there's anything else that you think we should watch. Cause we'll do it. You can ask us questions. We'll answer them. We'll, we'll read tweets, direct, whatever, just do whatever you want to do on Twitter at AC Matsy. Just throw it at me and I'll, uh, if if it's relevant i will address it on this podcast
0: yeah or to me at drabswatch on twitter now you know that voice inside of you that gives you the courage to act in your own self-interest to cheat and to lie to screw over others for your own advantage well it's the celery stalker slogan ah!